and then put it up uh, for rent as an Airbnb. And uh, how did that work out? The very first guest that I had checked in and uh, proceeded to trash the place. But I think in, say, 10 years from today, we're all going to be in a lot better shape through the power of real estate than if we hadn't. And so I think at the end of the day, we will only regret the actions we didn't take. We're not going to regret the ones that we did. Welcome to the Highly Leveraged Podcast, interviewing landlords and industry professionals to help you start and continue to scale your rental income portfolio. Here's your host, Dave Rosa. What's up? All right, I have Joshua Tessier with me this week out of Manchester, New Hampshire. He bought his first investment property with his then-wife back in 2008 before the housing crash. After the divorce, he pushed the reset button and he started all over again. He now has three properties with 13 doors. He's hit a ton of bumps in the road, but he's persevered through it all. Crappy contractors, long grant processes, tenant deaths, low appraisals, and much more. If you're new to the show, I have new podcasts coming out every Monday morning. You can find them at Apple, Google, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify. Go subscribe today. All right, so let's start at the beginning back in 2008. Yeah, so it was, um, we had bought a two family at pretty much the absolute top of the market. A couple years later, market tanks, and then we also bought a single family at the absolute bottom of the market, right? And so we're working on that. And then I bought a four unit that was a a lead property from the state of New Hampshire. And so uh, I started trying to figure out that whole process, which was a complete nightmare. Now, was that the four family you're talking about? Or oh, this was before the four family? Yeah. Oh, wow. You're yeah. a glutton for punishment. Yeah. <laughs> I know. You know, so I buy this property under the uh, notion that all these grants are available and that everybody can you know, get in on these programs, only to find out that uh, there's a lot of preferential treatment going on and only certain people are getting grants. And, you know, it was just an absolute nightmare. And so I ended up selling it to a guy who thought the same thing. He thought he could get it through and he was a lead abatement contractor. And um, uh, I have no idea what happened, but like 14 months later, it caught fire. Oh, uh, uh, an insurance <laughs> scam? <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, it's kind of weird. Right? So magically that property, uh, the, all the lead got taken care of on its own. Wow. Now, so what did you do? How how long did you actually own it for before you flipped it? I owned it for about like 12 months while I was like, you know, really trying to get through this program. And, and then I kind of just got to the point and I I couldn't get through it. And, and a contractor who was helping me kind of said, Josh, you know, what, what do you need to get out of this? And I gave him a number and we came to terms on it. And I said, now it's your problem. And where was that? Now, you're out of Manchester. Was that in Manchester? Yep, that was in Manchester, New Hampshire as well. Okay. No kidding. So that was a nightmare. Um, So fast forward to a few years ago, you started up again, right? Yep. So um, get divorced. Everything's finalized. Um, I sell the primary residence that I had. Um, Now, that was the one that we bought kind of at the bottom of the market. 
And I had done a full renovation on that to the point that we kind of got a bunch of awards from some historical societies for the work that we had done and, you know, it came out absolutely beautiful. Right. So I sell that house and I'm trying to decide, you know, kind of what I want to do. And at the time, the girl that I was dating uh, had asked me for some help trying to sell the house that she was in. So I kind of set her up with a realtor that I knew and some other stuff. And then long story short, I find out that she's basically in pre foreclosure. Now, at, at this point, we're kind of just, you know, realizing that, you know, we're not uh, meant for each other. And um, she kind of comes clean and says, yeah, by the way, I think the house is going to get foreclosed on. And I knew that she had a ton of equity in the house. And I was like, oh, it's really bad. You know, you guys are going to lose all this money. And so I said, you know, I can't give you, you know, a, a great offer, right? But I could probably make it up on the back end, right? So I, I gave her a... a an offer, right? That was, that was low, but then said, you can rent the house from me. So you can stay in place. You can rent the house back and stay there as long as you want until you're settled or until you've kind of moved on. And that's what we did. So I bought the house, kind of inherited a, you know, a big chunk of this equity and uh, she rented it back for a period of time. And then ultimately she moved out I moved into the house for a little while, took a home equity loan on it, used that money to buy the four family that I'm in now. So, so when you're talking highly leveraged, I know all about it. So. Yeah, there you go. That's the way to do it. All right. So I know this four family is an absolute nightmare. So walk us through this. Like, what the hell were you thinking when you took it over? Like, I mean, it was, I've seen the pictures. It's a friggin' mess. Yeah. So it was, um, so when I bought it, uh, I paid around like 240000 for it for a four unit, right, in, in Manchester, which, um, you know, fast forward two and a half years, things are going for like 150000 a unit right now. Um, so I, I bought it knowing that, you know, that essentially I was getting a shell and I was going to have to gut a lot of it. But having been through portions of the lead program before I knew that this money was out there to help you with lead remediation. And so I thought, all right, if I'm going to go through and gut this property, let me try and qualify for one of these lead programs and have them help to uh, facilitate, you know, some of the uh, renovations and stuff. Right. So I, I, this time I actually qualified for the program and actually got you know, and saw it through. So I ended up... Now, could you apply for that before you bought the house? Or you had to buy it and then just hope? You kind of buy it and hope. But in reality, like, the way that these kind of grants work is they don't have, like, a huge group of people that are waiting for them. So you, um, you know, if you've kind of been through them before, you know, like, if you get in that queue... And they're pretty open, right? They'll tell you kind of, you know, we don't have anyone in line yet because we don't have a grant lined up, right? But, you know, when they get close, they're like, hey, we think we have this money. It's been appropriated by, you know, Congress. So we're getting this money. Now we're setting up. We're trying to build our queue. So I was the, there was two people. It was me and another property. We were the first ones into this program. So they got the money, kind of knew all this stuff was coming, um, applied for it and got in. So my grant was for a total of $96,000 and the initial project cost was I think like $106,000 is, is what we had deemed 
to make this property lead free. Now I was doing a lot more than, you know, like what was required. Right. And so, um, I was not simply, uh, encapsulating things with paint. I was ripping and replacing virtually every surface that I could. Including chimneys. Yeah. <laughs> I took down more chimneys than I care to uh, ever do again in my life. And so I took this property from what was six bedrooms to now 10 bedrooms. So it was a one bedroom, a one bedroom, a two bedroom, and a two bedroom. And now I have two two bedrooms and two three bedrooms in the same square footage. So I was able to relocate or eliminate some hallways, move some bathrooms, shift a whole a lot of walls around and kind of uh, redo the floor plan to make it um, more modern, you know, more um, more flowing and, and open things up a lot, right? So I worked with the city to, to really spend the time to, to uh, give them kind of what they wanted, but also get what I wanted with the floor plan. Right. So in doing so, I was able to renovate the the whole property, right? Put in four new kitchens, four new bathrooms, and get significantly higher rents because of that. Yeah, no, that's pretty amazing. So, how was that uh, that money allocated to you? You got the ninety thousand. Was it just given out in little sums, or how did that work out? So that's kind of where it becomes an absolute nightmare. So basically, what happens is the program um, then asks you to, uh, you put your house out for bid, right? So you tell them what you want to do, you create a, a scope of work with them, and then they put that out to bid to their contractors, right? So they put this out to bid, they do a walkthrough, everybody comes through, takes a look at it, everybody puts together their numbers, and then says, okay, I can do it for, you know, 110000 I can do it for 120000 I can do it for 130000 and they pick the lowest bidder. That's who gets it. Now, where the problems arise is that you don't have any experience with these contractors, right? So you don't know if it's a good contractor or if it's the worst one in the world. And you're not given the opportunity to, uh, I would say, like, you know, investigate that contractor or take a look at them. So uh, unbeknownst to me, I was given a extremely poor contractor. And in the end of it, they... Uh, put into the city saying we're done and the city kind of came through and looked at it and I had a whole bunch of complaints and they said no you're not done you need to come back and they walked away from the job for a couple weeks and weren't willing to do everything anything and so now you as the homeowner you're losing rent right you've got a vacant property that's just you know bleeding money at this point and you know you've paid into this program as well for work that's you know sub-satisfactory so the contractor came back, he did a little bit more work, and then he walked off the job again. Really? And at this point, I had a, a third party come in and, and estimate what was left to do using the original scope of work. So they came up with about $16,000 that was left remaining that needed to be done. So I contacted the city, was pretty irate about the whole thing, and ultimately the city ended up paying out the remaining amount of money to the contractor and said to me, we're washing our hands of you, you, you know, either sue us or walk away, right? And so that's uh, up to you, we're out of here. So then I had to take out additional resources, right? And, uh, you know, come up with more money to complete the, 
the house. So I've got the interiors pretty much done. Um, the exterior still needs a little bit of work. But wow! So how how long are we talking now? Between with all this going on, from the time you bought it to the time that that guy told you to take a hike, is that over a year already? Or um, that's probably about eight months, I would say. Um, so they're in the contract. They're given um, ten days to clear a unit. So they signed up to a contract and said, yeah, we can do it in that amount of time. We've got a big enough crew. We'll get it all done. And the contract states that for every day they're late, there's a $100 fine. So obviously we blew those timelines by, you know, months, right? And so when I went back to the city and said, okay, you know, no one, no one thinks this work is satisfactory. Uh, what would you like to do about this? And they basically said, all right, we're going to pay them out. He said, okay, so take the $100 a day late fee out of that payment now that we're, you know, six months behind, right? And they said, no, we're not going to enforce the contract. Wow. So now that contractor, when he left you, wh- what what kind of shape was the house in? Was it just drywall and that was it? Or what, what was it, what were the units looking like at that point? So two units were done, um, pretty much done, right, completed. Um, and two units were not even close, right? They, they had, you know, subflooring in. They didn't have, you know, yeah. finished flooring. They didn't have, uh, um, you know, trim was haphazardly installed. Um, it, it got so bad that we had to tear out a section of the trim that they had installed because there was about a half inch gap between the window and the wood trim that was stuffed with toilet paper. And then they had cocked over it. (laughs) I've never heard of that one before. That's toilet paper and cock. Okay. Yeah. And so that's what they were passing off as, you know, their finished work. Right. And, uh, and, and of course this was during the height of uh, when you couldn't get toilet paper. And so I'm thinking, really couldn't have used anything else. We need that. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah so that's just a year ago you're talking then just a little over a year ago that yeah yeah and so right around that same time as i was trying to buy this house um you know this this house was in really rough condition when i bought it right so um i the first mortgage i tried to get on it was a conventional mortgage and they came back and said no it doesn't appraise for average condition we're not giving you a loan so i went to a, a mortgage broker that I kind of had known people had some luck with. And I said, Hey, you know, is there anything you can do? Have you heard about this? You know, what, what do you think? So he said, well, we can try for another appraisal. Right. And so we, I paid the, uh, couple hundred bucks for the additional appraisal. And, and we kind of said to the, uh, appraiser, you know, here's the problem. You know, it didn't appraise for average condition. You know, that's kind of where we're at, right? I'm just trying to get average condition out of this thing so that I can get a mortgage. And if I remember right, they like left that section empty. He didn't put in the condition. He put in all the pictures. He put in all the information about it and basically said, I'm going to leave it up to the bank to determine the condition. The bank got the numbers back and the appraisal was higher than the purchase price. And so the bank said, man, looks good, right? And signed off on it right so now i was able to get conventional financing on it right so kind of when you hit that roadblock don't stop right just keep pushing and what bank was this for anyone that's local in uh, new hampshire that was wells fargo oh okay not even a local bank i figured it was a small local bank 
No, so this was through a mortgage broker, right? And they, um, you know, the mortgage ended up through Wells Fargo. And so um, that went through. And at that same time, so that, that took quite a while, right, to, to get through. At that same time, this eight unit came on the market that, like, I really wanted. And so I, I kind of wanted to, like, back out of the four unit and buy the eight unit. But the eight unit... That realtor was kind of giving me some trouble and she just wasn't willing to to kind of commit to the offer, right? And, and so I just couldn't get, you know, a formal, you know, agreement out of her. So I ended up closing on the four unit. Like six months into it, I thought we were finally smooth sailing and I was going to be done and the eight unit was still on the market. And so I wrote back to her and said, hey, you know, what's going on? You, you know, you're looking to sell? And they said, oh, you know, we've had a couple buyers that back out. You know, we've had, you know, just a hell of a time trying to sell this house. And, you know, they, but she felt they were going to close on it within the next couple months. So I let it go. A couple months go by and it's still there. And at this point, um, the pandemic's in full swing. Uh, I had been laid off from the uh, tech job that I had and was kind of like, I don't know what to do. And they came out with this CARES Act. And I took uh, a substantial amount of money out of my 401k uh, because we could, at that point, you know, and, and avoid the, the tax. Penalty free. Yep. I did the same thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I took that money out and was kind of sitting on it, um, figuring I was going to use it on uh, my four unit. And I reached back out to her and said, hey, I still see this house is out there. You know, I'm, I'm willing to pay full price. You know, you know can we do anything? So the property's been for sale for almost a year now, and the market's been, you know, going crazy up, and they've never adjusted their price. So every time this falls through, nobody's adjusting their price on this thing. And so ultimately, I was able to get an agreement the third or fourth time around on it, and was able to bring that property to close. Now, I wasn't fully ready for that. Um... You know, I don't have the money in hand to do the renovations that I'd like to do and stuff like that. But as it is, it's uh, it's got some vacancies, but it's you know covering itself and it's you know turning a little bit extra, right? So I'm taking a little bit extra every month and plowing it back into doing work over there as well. So at what point were you with the four unit when you bought the eight unit? I'd say about like seventy five percent of the way done. I think I had three of the units rented and I could see a pathway on the fourth one. Um, so it was close, you know, it was enough that while I'm certainly not celebrating, I was not in full panic anymore. Now on the, on the four family, when that contractor walked away, were you able to find another contractor or did you just do most of the stuff yourself? It it was a mix. So, um, at that point in time I was working full time, um, and I had a, 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 car, a finished carpenter that was kind of doing additional work for me. So he was the one like installing my kitchens and stuff like that. And so he had seen a lot of the work that was going on and, um, he was able to step in and that like $16,000 worth of work that they walked away from, he ended up completing it. And so I, out of pocket, you know, ended up, you know, paying him, completed the work. And um, at this point, kind of moved on, right, from it, right? And so at this point, I've kind of got to decide, 
what my path is, right? And, and so the problem is I've spoken to a few attorneys about it. I did retain an attorney for a little while to try to help me get something done with it. And, you know, it's a case with our court systems where you're probably going to spend 25 to get 20, you know, and, and so it's a hard pill to swallow, but, um, you know, it's a, a big lesson learned and I'll never, uh, never do another one of those programs again. Yeah. Right. No kidding. Jesus. So that, that four, that four unit, how much work did you do overall yourself? Did you just do some painting or some anything or was it all contracted? So I did probably 40 to 60% of the demo myself. Um, I pulled 14 30 yard dumpsters out of here. Wow. I, I was involved in pretty much every phase from, you know, smashing bricks out of chimneys to painting to flooring to drywall to everything. Now, did you have any help with all that? Or were you just coming home from work and just going over there and and just breaking stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I was working from, say, 730 to 5. And then my thankfully, my work was, was super close. And so at 5 o'clock, I would get out of work and I would run over here and I'd work here till, you know, 11 o'clock, midnight, something like that. And I would fall asleep here and I didn't have for a period I didn't have any running water here. I didn't have any bathrooms or anything. I didn't have any heat for a while either. That was bad. And so I would sleep here and then go back to work and shower at work and use the facilities at the gym there. And that's how I was kind of getting through it. And so that was probably like a two month period where it was rough. So right now you you're living in one unit, you're renting out the other three what is the, the, how much did you get to increase the rent? Because it was people living in there, even though it was a disaster before you bought it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Almost 2X. So what was uh, a two bedroom unit, um, they were getting 900 a month for, and I now get 1600 a month for that same unit, but it's now a three bedroom. Some of it is capped because you do have to abide by HUD guidelines for rents for three years as part of this program. And so uh, you basically get, you know, the, the, the max you can charge is the HUD rate, right? And so the, the weird part about these programs is so this tenant, you know, previously was paying 900 bucks, right? And then we come in and we do all this work. And next thing you know, you jack the tenant's rent up through these programs that are supposed to help keep these units affordable. And so um, they're kind of counterintuitive in that uh, that way as well. And now, are you, did you place the tenant yourself, or did you pay a property manager? You did it yourself. Yep. What's your yep. What's your vetting process like? So I've been uh, using Cozy, which is now going to be Apartments dot com. Um, and so basically, I would put an ad on a Craigslist or something along those lines, and um, say, you know, I'm looking for a tenant. Um, post pictures and a whole bunch of stuff like that. People would apply and I would kind of send them a, you know, a statement of questions, right? You know, why are you looking to move? Um, where you come from? You know, do you have any issues with me talking to your landlord? Uh, what do you do for work? Kind of that, that type of stuff. Who's going to be living here? Is it, you know, you, is it, you know, how many cats and dogs and pit bulls do you have? Um, and I would say 60 to 70% of them, you don't get any response. And about like the 30% that do respond, let you know that they've got two evictions, three pit bulls, and, you know, it's going to be them, their sister, and, you know, a whole flock of uh, children moving in. 
And so it's, I found it's fairly easy to kind of vet the people that, you know, you're willing to, to move forward with, right. And you're kind of saying, well, you know, we have these, uh, guidelines that, that I operate under and you know, I'm not willing to take any, you know, violent sexual offenders or, you know, child molesters or things like that. And you end up showing those folks the, you know, the unit. And so I did get some, some great tenants and I get some really, really great tenants that, you know, I work with and, uh, they've been great. Now, uh, how do you collect? Do you just walk next door and grab a check from them or are they through Venmo or how are you doing it? Um, I've been using cozy. So, as that platform is shutting down, I got to either switch to apartments.com or another platform, which I'm kind of looking into now. But so I do it all online, right? So um, I, you know, like I tell my tenants, I don't want any of the money, right? I don't want cash. I don't want anything like that. There's no discounts or anything like that. You pay online, it gives you a receipt, you know, it shows all the transactions. Um, everything is there. And so for tax time, it's all wonderful. And you can, you know, see all the transactions that occurred and things like that. Um, and if the tenant ever has any questions or says, you know, hey, the utility company needs, you know, me to show that I'm paying rent, I need a receipt. So, well, just go print it out. Right? I don't handle that. That's through uh, another provider. Nice. So on that cozy, uh, does it charge them a fee or is it completely free on both ends? So it, if if they're going to pay through an ACH uh, withdrawal from their bank account to your bank account, it is free for them. But it does hold it for, I think, it's seven days. And so there is a, a clearing process, which I'm sure, you know, in those seven days, they're probably making a little bit of money on, on that end. So there is a little bit of a, of a hold on the money, but for, for the landlord, it's, uh, you're, you're not paying. No, that's a good deal. All right. So when you get the eight unit, let's talk more about the eight unit. Uh, what was that one like? I'm assuming that one was in a lot better shape than this one that you're sitting in was. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, um, it's it's got some it's got some issues, right? It's definitely got some hair on it and uh, needs to be taken care of. So it is much closer to kind of like the uh, the core of the city and the downtown. So the location's really nice. It's got some parking. It's got a little bit of a yard, and it is four studios, two one bedrooms, no three one bedrooms, and then a two bedroom. Um, so it's more kind of towards like you would think a young professional or like a college student, you know, would be a great fit for it. Uh, unfortunately, the previous landlord was just filling it with whomever uh, applied. So we had you know, a lot of troublemakers in there, a lot of people who uh, I would have never placed in there. And so as uh, leases are coming up, we're, you know, not renewing certain folks and uh, we're, we're definitely kind of turning those units over and certainly kind of letting it be known that there's a, a new sheriff in town and, uh, you know, dumping your trash, just throwing it outside for a week is not acceptable. And, you know, we're kind of cleaning that stuff up. Uh, so when you took that over, how many of the units were, were vacant? Two. So when I had, when I first got it under contract, there was one vacancy. They asked me if I wanted to fill it. And I said, no, that unit was super rough. And personally, I can't imagine that it would rent, but, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of desperate situations out there, so I'm sure they could have gotten something for it, right? So I said, no, don't rent it. I'm going to gut it. You know, we'll go through it. Then as we're going through kind of the escrow process, we're getting ready to close, another tenant died that was living there. 
And so they kind of came forward and said, hey, just an FYI, you know, this guy passed away. What would you like us to do? And I said, no, just leave it, right? Just take all his personal stuff, get everything out, and leave it. So um, I inherited it with two vacancies. Then uh, within like three or four months of owning it, another one of the tenants sends sends me a letter and says basically, hey, I think I'm going to die. I'm being put into hospice care. And... uh, I just want to let you know that I'm out of here. And so, so then we got a third vacancy. And so we got that one kind of turned over and I turned that into an Airbnb. And so for some reason I thought that would be a great idea. And so, um, we, uh, he had been renting it fully furnished, which I was not really aware of. I mean, the furnishings were not anything lavish, right? There's, there's nothing great about it. Right. But I was able to kind of, go in and do a light renovation, change out all the lighting, paint all the walls, clean everything up and replace probably half the furniture, I'd say, and then put it up uh, for rent as an Airbnb. And uh, how did that work out? The very, <laughs> go ahead. The very first guest that I had checked in and uh, proceeded to rash the place so they were there for i want to say like seven days something like that in which time they had installed their own led lighting they had brought in things from the outside like bicycles and you know i mean like they had moved in right i mean they they filled the place with stuff no idea why but they were you know giving each other haircuts and basically just forcing all the hair down the drains and clogged up all the drains Looks like they had tried to cook at one point. Um, they basically destroyed the igniters on the stove somehow. Um, just filth and garbage, you know, everywhere, right? Um, just piles of it. And so then I, uh, on their checkout date, I go with uh, the girl that I had lined up to clean. And I open up the door and they say, hey, whoa, hang on. Like, we're, we're, we're not ready. I'm like, wait a minute, like it's, you know, like two o'clock. What do you mean you're not ready? Like you're supposed to check out at 11. And I find two people in there who, you know, and I, I kind of open the door and I just see that it's, it's just trash. It's just filled with shit, you know, just, just destroyed. And so, um, I immediately call the police and say, Hey, you know, I got some people that are supposed to be out of here. You know, I need some help getting them out. So the, guests that were in there is you know they kind of hear this transaction going on and so now they're in like panic mode to get out and so they uh immediately kind of start gathering as much as they can and they basically just walk out right so they leave it all behind and and you're kind of left holding the bag on that what like did they were they saying anything to you when they were walking past you like i would have been ripping them a new i mean i probably would have been arrested but i mean like, what did you say to them? Did you say anything? Or you just, like, get the hell out of here and that was it? Yep. yep. You know, you, you kind of got to hold your cool, right? I mean, your your uh, emotions are certainly running high. Um, you'd like to rip their heads off, right? You'd like to make them eat the filth they left behind. Um, you know, they were clearly... Uh, Junkies. Using, yep. They were clearly <laughs> using drugs. Um, and Yeah, uh, they weren't using that stove to cook food, that's for sure. They were cooking a little something else. Most likely. So we found quite a bit of, you know, 
uh, leftovers from hypodermic needles and things like that that are in there. Oh my god! And um, you know, unfortunately, the that Airbnb the as a platform doesn't um, necessarily screen their their guests right when the when I accepted the reservation, the guest looks fine, and then uh, you know when I call them and, and have these issues with them, now the guest has you know multiple reviews from other people that are saying. You know, don't rent to her. She's horrible. Oh my god! Yeah, so they're just going through all these houses, just destroying them. So that that is absolutely insane. So now Airbnb, we had an Airbnb for fourteen months. Knock on wood, we never had any issues like that. I always feared that, but uh, they say that they have a one million dollar insurance policy. Let's talk about that. How hard is that to get? Did you get anything out of that, or did they basically tell you to pound sand? I got, I think, one hundred and seventy eight dollars. Are you kidding me? Um, so Airbnb asks that you provide, uh, well, so first they basically tell you request, you know, the, the money from the guest, right? So go through this program, upload all your receipts, upload all the stuff that got trashed and, you know, tell the guest to pay it. Right. So you go through that. Of course, the guest isn't going to pay anything. Right. And so now you get a, you know, an Airbnb person who's uh, overseas, who's going to help you through this. Right. And so they say, okay, upload everything. And you say, well, I already did. And they say, no, 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 you uploaded that to the guest portion. We need you to upload that to the resolution center over here. So, okay, fine. Now you work through that and you upload everything in that like two day period. They've already closed your case once. Right. Because they said, oh, well, you know, the guest didn't pay it. So we're just going to close this. So when you call them back, they're like, oh, why are you calling? We, we're not really sure why you're calling. We see your resolution was closed. You're like, yeah. And there was no resolution. So now you go back through and you get it open again. So now you provide receipts for, you know. So for me, fortunately, I had like literally this was the first guess. So I had all the receipts for the bedding and the towels and stuff like that that were just, you know, filth and didn't come clean and couldn't be recovered. So you provide all that information to them and say, okay, here's my receipts. Here's all my stuff in order. And they say, well, we don't know about that. And then, you know, things like the plumber that had to come to uh, clear the drains and stuff like that. You know, he's a, a local plumber that I use on a bunch of my properties, but he's not billing, you know, like that day. Right. And so his bill comes, you know, at the end of the week, he sends it to me. Well, Airbnb has already closed your claim before that comes in. And so they're like, oh, we want receipts for this. They're like, well, I can't get you a receipt because I need to get in there with a contractor to see what this is going to, you know, cost me to get this smell out. Right. I don't know if this is penetrated into the subfloor and what we're going to have to do. And so it, they basically make it so cumbersome to get anything out of them that the host ends up kind of abandoning the, uh, the, the process. So then we had the, the very next guest stayed for about a month. I want to say, um, right. So it's a, now when did that second guest arrive? Like two days later. So How the, the hell did you get that all fixed in two days? Yeah, so that's the issue, right? So thankfully the cleaning lady that I have was, was amazing. And her and her husband came over and the three of us, spent i want to say like six hours cleaning like like just um it's a second floor unit so we're just lining up trash can after trash can below us just heaving all this stuff out the you know off the deck into the trash cans 
And then just, you know, like I'm running to the store to buy towels and buy sheets and, you know, get all this stuff situated. And we're in, you know, kind of mad scramble to get this ready for the next person, right? So now the next person um, is there. And I end up getting a booking that follows on right on the back of him. So the next guest was an older gentleman who uh, was not very internet savvy. So he gets to the end of his booking and he says, hey, I want to stay longer. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I can't accommodate that. Like, we have another guest here. And um, they had sold a house and were waiting to close on another one. And it kept getting pushed back. And for some reason, he has, like, moved in. So he's brought, like, all of his stuff. He emptied, like, a U-Haul trailer and put it in this bedroom. So now he's got to move it all out. So he decides that, you know, he's going to try and work with Airbnb and call them and say, hey, I need to... uh, to, to stay longer, Airbnb tells him, no, you got to get out. So he ends up leaving at approximately 6 p.m. that evening. So the guest who was supposed to check in at 2 is like, hey, can I get in? And you're like, I'm sorry, but, you know, talk to Airbnb. They're working with this other guest and they're trying to get him out. So at this point, the new guest ends up canceling his reservation because he can't come in. Right. So now I lose essentially like a week on that guest and the guest that's in there finally checks out at six o'clock and leaves. And so now you as the host, I'm stuck with this vacancy for the week. And Airbnb is like, "Mm, sorry, that's the way it works. Dude, you have the worst luck ever. (laughs) I mean, most people would have quit and just walked away and said, F this real estate stuff. I don't know. Why do you keep coming back for more? So. I went to school for engineering and I guess what I would say is that you run the numbers and you know, the, the numbers themselves, like they, they should pan out, right? Like, so you run the numbers 10 times over, you work these spreadsheets and you're like, okay, I should be able to make money doing this. Right. And so you stick with it kind of long enough. Right. And like the four family is turned around, right. And you're kind of making money over there and it's like, okay, maybe this Airbnb thing will work out eventually. I am still not convinced. Um, and you just, for me, like I just stick with it. I just keep trying and you know, other people are doing it. Right. And so eventually I'm going to figure out how you guys are doing it. Cause now, are you are you still doing Airbnb, or did you at least give up on that portion? No. So You're I was a savage for punishment, um, and I've kind of stuck with it, and and have uh, I'm probably three months into it now. The last say uh, six to ten guests have all been great, um, have left the place in good condition, um, and kind of kind of been decent. Um, unfortunately the, the young lady that I had helping me clean, uh, the first time around was like, no way, not doing this again. I am done. So, you know, I'm still, as far as like a system, I'm still need to do a lot of work to kind of, I'd say, perfect that model. Uh, but overall, I don't think Airbnb is going to be a long-term, uh, solution for me on that property. Yeah, now I, I know you said you only had it for a few months and you've had all these issues, so you might not be able to answer this exactly, but how much more are you making with that unit as an Airbnb versus if it was just a long-term rental? So I would generally rent it out for probably 1200 a month, and with Airbnb, I'm netting about two grand a month. Okay. 
And that's including you paying for the electric and all that stuff taken out of it too? Okay. Yeah, so kind of the hardship with that building is it's an eight unit and it's all on one meter. So I am in the process of separating that. So we've got electricians working on the building and we are kind of in the process of of separating all those units into their own. So part of me also doesn't want to transition to like a year lease until I've completed that work and I can fully separate it. So uh, what's the Airbnb like up there? You you staying full right now all through the summer? Or? Yeah. So it, it gets interesting because it, it's probably, I would say, like 80% occupancy, something like that. Um, That's great. Yeah. So it does stay quite full. A lot of... Uh, longer term you know it's it's not a lot of like you know one day two day type thing it's, it tends to be a lot of like um you know two weeks three weeks which is is to me i think is great it's a it's a really unique platform not real impressed with uh how the uh the property owners are kind of treated so i'll be interested to kind of follow airbnb long term and see as a platform you know how does it do how does it make out all right, so you've been through hell. Do you regret any of it, or is there anything you could have done differently? You know, I, I I would say my kind of cautionary tale would be to someone else kind of looking to follow this footstep is make sure you have like 2x the amount of money that you think you're going to need lined up. You don't necessarily need it in a bank account, but you need to know that you have access to that funds, right? Whether it's through a home equity loan or whether it's through a a 401k that you can withdraw on or family or friends or savings accounts or whatever. But being well-financed, there was a few times where I thought I was just going to get taken to my knees and not be able to get through this. You know, if it wasn't for, you know, having some of those reserves, I wouldn't have made it. You know, it it would have taken me out on this one trying to do uh, all the work that I was trying to do. So I would uh, employ people to, you know, make sure you've got the money. But I wouldn't change what I did because when I got um, laid off from the tech company that I was at, I was fine, right? I was comfortable. You know, I'm not not comfortable, right? Like I'm. I'm still fairly broke, but <laughs> surviving. Yeah. Like at least right now, you know, the old credit card's not bouncing when I go to the supermarket, right? And I can still kind of put food in the kids' mouths and uh, we're doing okay. And I kind of look at it and say, if I can simply hold on every year that I can hold on, rents will increase and my fixed costs will stay the same, right? So my mortgage stays the same you know, for the next 30 years on this property, right? And I know that, you know, my rents are not going to be staying the same as, you know, we kind of follow what's happened in the market for the last 100 years. So, uh, yeah, you've persevered through all this so far. You can't give up now. I mean, I I, I have to imagine you've been through the worst of what you're going to be through. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, so I... I you do learn from it a little bit, you know, and you kind of learn like, you know, what programs you would do, what programs aren't worth it. And, you know, the other thing is, is you kind of get to help other people, right? You get to kind of tell other people, you know, oh, watch out for this or, you know, that sounds really good. But in my experience, that's not, you know, the way that works out or, you know, friends will, will call me 
um, that I've met at, you know, real estate meetups and something else will say, oh, you know, I need a, a, a carpenter, or, you know, where are you getting your appliances from or things like that. And, you know, it, it does feel kind of nice where you're kind of like, oh, I can tell you how I did it, right? I can tell you kind of what I was paying. I can tell you where these things go. And, you know, oh, that bid seems really high to put in a new bathroom. You know, I, I might shop that around a little bit more. So you do kind of become a, a wealth of knowledge to folks, which is, is nice, you know. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Any other advice you have for people out there listening that haven't gotten started or just got started? Or You know, I think some of it's interesting because I know a little bit about your background, and I think you're kind of a glutton for being in uh, up northern New Hampshire as well. And so I look at it and say, God, I would never go up there. And so I think we all pick our poison, you know, and I, I think we all get our lumps for it, right? But I think in, say, 10 years from today, we're all going to be in a lot better shape through the power of real estate than if we hadn't. And so I think at the end of the day, we will only regret the actions we didn't take. And we're not going to regret the ones that we did. There you go. It's a great saying right there. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's all going to work out for you now. I mean, you've been through, like I said, you've been through the worst of it. <laughs> yeah, I hope it don't get worse. That's for sure. All right, man. Thanks for joining me today. I hope things go a lot smoother moving forward. Wow. Josh has been through a lot. I'm impressed to go through all that and still have a positive attitude and be able to laugh about it. Uh, that Airbnb debacle was only a couple months ago. I mean, that's still a fresh wound. But look where he is now. I mean, he's on the other side. He's got some nice properties. He's still got a little bit of work to do, but that's how you do it. It's it's not a get rich quick. I mean, it takes time. He's been through the worst of it. I can tell you that. So that's it for this week. Check it out. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio. Alexa, play the Highly Leveraged Podcast. She hates me. Every Monday morning, subscribe. Get out there and get after it. Light up. Thank you for listening to the Highly Leveraged Podcast. Leave a review and subscribe to get new shows automatically downloaded every Monday morning. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Highly Leveraged Pod. And check out our website at highlyleveragedpod.com for more info. I think at the end of the day, we will only regret the actions we didn't take. and We're not going to regret the ones that we did.